it's Blue, baby, and you're now rocking with Blue Dope. On today's episode, I have Candice Brathwaite, author, influencer, and she's from the UK, y'all, across the pond, as they say. I'm not even going to try an accent. It might be trash if I try. But what's crazy is that she's actually the first black woman in all of the UK to release a book about motherhood, black motherhood. Um, it's 2022, y'all, <laughs> but interesting story, and I, I just love to hear about what she's doing throughout the UK, and the word is she has her sights on a global landscape. We welcome her into New York, um, and we look forward to seeing what she does in the future as well. With no further ado, Candy Sprathwaite, Blue Dope. What's up, everybody? It's Blue, baby. It's another episode of Blue Dope. Today, I have the dope. Candy Sprathway coming all the way from UK, author, right? Uh, podcaster, influencer, list goes on and on and on, a Jane of all trades. And I love that. I love whenever people do a lot of things because I feel like I do a lot of things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I definitely want to get into it today. So firstly, how are you feeling, Candice? I'm feeling, uh, today I'm a bit exhausted. I think I've got something. It's not the vid though, because I've been testing like every hour. <laughs> um, yes, so today, no, today I'm a bit under the weather, but on, on the whole, I'm really excited about this year for myself nice. and my family, to be fair. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I'm excited to interview you. I think you're my first international guest. Um, <laughs> I've kind of been, I guess, state to state or even people who've migrated to the U.S. that are that are here and we have these conversations. But I think with that said, I'm definitely interested in hearing about your upbringing in, in the mm. U.K. and specifically mm. as a black woman in the U.K. and how those experiences may be similar or they differ to, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. black women in the U.S. Um, so I'm going to go right into it. So <laughs> born, born and raised in the U.K.? Yeah, um, South London, Brixton, stand up. Um, <laughs> uh, Brixton, like, well, it was before gentrification, super multicultural, very West Indian. And oh. I was raised by my maternal grandparents. So my mum's mum and dad. Wow. My mum and dad split up when I was like nine months and my mum went back to work really early. Now, here's the tea. And I think this sets pace for the rest of my life. Mm. My granddad was mugged really badly a few months before I was born and he was left blind in one eye. Mm. And so back then he was deemed unfit for work. So he stayed home and my nan went out to pay the mortgage. And my granddad took care of me. So my granddad like bathed me, fed me, took me to school. And this is in the eighties. Yeah. So do you know what I mean? This is, this is very, very progressive. (laughs) So now when I'm on TikTok, seeing men arguing about washing up, it just like gives me an immediate headache. Cause I'm like, (laughs) I was raised by a guy who took pride in doing the ironing because Mm. he could no longer go out to make money. And also I was raised in a household that said, you know what, let's not dive into these masculine and feminine roles. Let's do what is best for the household financially. So that, that was, that was a very, very different experience. So he was really like a stay at home granddad. Basically. <laughs> was Now, were your grandparents, I mean, even both sides, are both families from the UK originally or did they no. migrate to the UK? Yeah, they both, on both sides, they migrated. So on my dad's side, they migrated from Jamaica and from my mom's side, they migrated from Barbados, which I think 
I think gives this story even more juice because they're really coming from places where these set uh, masculine and feminine roles are very, very obvious. But the thing is, I think, yeah, I think migrating teaches anyone. You have to hustle, you have to put your head down and you have to do what's best for your family because you've got less options. You've got less options. You know, a, a, a thousand percent. And I wanted to get into that because I think I saw you online with a Bayesian flag. And, I, <laughs> and, and then when you said Brixton is so West Indian, I'm like, all right, it sounds like Flatbush. And the basically, <laughs> basically. And you know how I can say that with such strength. So all my nan siblings migrated from Barbados to New York. Yeah. So oh, there you I go. right. So I spent almost every summer in New York. Oh, nice. and it was, so Brixton was literally it, it was literally Flatbush until what's happened to Flatbush <laughs> now has happened as well. <laughs> yeah, we got Starbucks in Flatbush now. You know drive, I mean? drive through Starbucks. It's really it's very different right now. So nice. Brixton's probably the same thing or whatever's popular there right now. Like and the coffee's like seven pound a cup. Oh, like wow. come like mm. come on. <laughs> Ridiculous. So so no, so definitely having grandpa raise you that's that's very different so so what what was the dynamic with your your actual your mom and dad and you I mean you kind of explained a little bit but yeah it was really tense I can't lie like they tried to see eye to eye and they didn't but then on my so on my mother's side I'm the eldest of three and on my father's side he's he's dead now I'm one of one so I was my dad's only child which again did something crazy to my head because in this man's world, I'm his everything. Mm. So I was able to like have siblings, but also go to my dad's house and have my own space and (laughs) him be like, you're the best thing in the world, which was really important because once I grew up a little and starting to move in circles outside of Brixton, I realized how cold the world was towards black women. I was like, oh, outside of my home, outside of my community, there's this thing called racism. There's this thing called colorism. Then there's sexism. Like there's all these intersections where someone's going to try and block my bag or block my Mm. dreams. So it was really important to be able to go between these two black men who were just like, no, you're the everything. You've got this. Those two men are really the 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 best foundations I could have asked for. But um, yeah, mum and dad didn't really vibe. And that was, that's still difficult to deal with. But it's also, as I've got an older, I'm like, it's such a common story. I'm yeah. like, I'm not losing sleep over it, you know? A hundred percent. But then I think the difference is in a lot of those situations, all right, mom and dad didn't work out. All right, mom's raising me now. And, mm. and that that wasn't the case for you. No. So, and, like, and don't get me wrong, I saw her and I loved her, but I saw her the least. Do you wow. know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, I saw, like, I'd see her maybe just as she was coming in from work and maybe sometimes in the morning, defo at weekends, but it was literally the men in my life I saw primarily. I mean, I, I think that's that's important for, for black men. We have to realize how much of an impact we, we make mm. on the young girls in our life, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Translating to that, how how was it, you know, he's taking you around, like, what were some of the lessons that he gave you that stuck to you to this day, even just going to school and having to progress in school and everything? I tell you what, my granddad, 
still is severely dyslexic. Like I sign all his paperwork. I deal with all his letters. And I remember that man standing over me and being like, flash the pen, baby, flash the pen. As in make your handwriting distinct, make sure no one can take you for a fool, make sure you can read and write. Because he knew how not being able to read and write well invalidated him in some ways. Mm. And he was like, I've seen how that's been a blocker for me. And listen, that's not about to be your destiny. He had such an intimate relationship with my school teachers. I'll tell you this story one day. I must have been about eight. And I went to a school where you didn't have to wear school uniform, but my granddad still put me in one. It must be <laughs> like, what? It you had to be- hate that. <laughs> like- you're the only kid with a uniform the only kid in a uniform that he's just making up the caribbean in him yeah so it's like some super dress up day so i've like and he's been like flat out no you're wearing uniform so i snuck some clothes into my school bag Uh uh-oh and he i think he's left and so i've run off gone to the toilet changed my clothes had the day last period of the day i've gone back to the toilet put on the uniform he's picked me up it's gravy i'm like yes girl you did it bath time comes now and i just felt like a a hailstorm of licks rained down upon me like i caught the whooping of a lifetime and i'm so confused like what's going on and he's like don't you ever lie to me basically my school teacher called him and was like, Mr. Brathwaite, this ain't Candice. <laughs> wow. And I don't know what's going on, but I have wow. to let you know that I know you would never. And she was a stocky Ghanaian woman. Like mm. she knew the tea as well. And he was <laughs> like, don't you ever lie to me. Like I will, I've built such a relationship mm. at this school. I will always catch you. Honestly, that's the only time he's ever had to lay hands on me. Cause it's, it imprinted in my mind so much. And it made me understand like, okay I learned this later I was like he only wants the best for you and that's where that strictness comes from now to me today do you know how beautiful it would be for for black kids to have that kind of relationship with Mm -hmm. their teachers and their parents you couldn't pay for that now that would save so much problems in our community universally if if teachers were that invested in a child's life that they're going to pick up the phone and be like to care that much yeah something's off you can't buy that now you know and and I think there's cases where the teachers care that much and then the parents don't which is crazy right exactly teachers are like invested or they know when something's up and parents can't no not his name's george not georgie boy he was there every day in his in his tan mac and his pipe because he smokes a pipe which is still a very regal thing and his flat cap and he'd be like just walking around clocking the tea being like don't play with that person like granddad why should i not play with this person he was like because they've got no home training And that's such a a harsh judgment to make, but it's true. He's clocked that their parents do not care about what they do. And he's like, what did he always tell me? Birds of a feather flock together or Mm. what someone does will rub off on you. He's Mm. like, you may not even be the instigator, but if you're caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's over for you. Those are such fundamental lessons that, yeah. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) I mean, at, at that point, did you go on for higher learning to do anything that you're doing today? I'm Anna. 
a transgender woman. And I'm Cam, your dad. And this is The Transgender. Join Anna as she chronicles her transition, and Cam as he learns how to be a supportive parent. This podcast is about embracing differences and finding common ground. It's a roller coaster of emotions, laughter, and genuine connection. Tune in to new episodes of The Transgender Bi-Weekly. Subscribe and listen to The Transgender on your favorite podcast platform. Love you all, except the bigots. Uh, no. And this is the thing. I like to be honest about this. I left school in what in the UK after college. So I did not go on to university to get any type of degree. I think my dad was broken hearted because my dad was a solicitor. And by that time, I was working as a receptionist in the evenings after school. I was coming when, when down. When you say a solicitor, what do you mean? A lawyer. A lawyer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like. Wow. <laughs> and an important one too. Like wow. he was a lawyer at one of the most prestigious human rights firms in the UK. Wow. Like they deal with case. I remember I was about 17 and some people may know this name. I ended up meeting this guy called Abu Hamza. Mm. And this guy's got like a hook for a hand and it was just a very trippy experience. Now I'm a, now I'm a lot older. I'm like the situations that job put me in. I'm like, you had no idea what you were being exposed to. But then I turned to dad and I was like, listen, my heart isn't in this legal thing. I'm just, okay. I don't enjoy it. I don't yeah. like it. I was like, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Okay. And I will say that he supported me in that I'd write these little, I want to say silly essays, but it all adds up to something. And mm-hmm. I'd get him to mark them and correct them. And I remember one night I watched a documentary. I don't know who sent me to watch this documentary about men in prison dealing with HIV. Such a random mm. document. And I wrote like a four page essay because this thing really got stuck in my brain. And I sent it to dad and like a week went by and he hadn't said anything. I said, dad, what was up? with the essay like you've not marked it he said let me tell you something he said that essay was so outstanding I had no right to mark it Mm. like as your dad I didn't actually know to do I didn't know what to do with the information you were telling me and he was like if this is the way you write at 17 he was like I have to support your dreaming in this writing thing and again I think just the compassion and the empathy and the support of a parent being like, I don't understand your dream, but I've got you was a game changer. Nice. And and I mean, this is on the weekends, right? So when you're getting exactly. to see him, he's still pouring into you whenever he yeah. had you around. Exactly. So then after that, I went traveling. Um, I got, I got, I won this place on this thing that took me to India of all places okay. for like five months. Again, that was a, that was an out of body experience as a black woman traveling to a place like India. <laughs> uh, India. So we, we, we flew into Delhi, but then we were situated way up North in a place called Himachal Pradesh, like okay. near the mountains, um, really small, ignorant ignorant minds in terms of their lack of education they were like how can you be black and british they were like that's impossible (laughs) (laughs) they only had one picture ever shown to them they were like you're from africa and you should have no money and how is your english so good wow and when you're like 18 19 you're having to learn on the spot that not every thought in your mind you should say because you're not in a position of power. I'm like, if I really cuss these people now, <laughs> you're in the middle I don't of the even mountains. understand what they're saying. Do you know? <laughs> like yeah, you're not safe out there. I'm like, I'm like, 
I actually just have to deal with this in a different way. And then, so spent time in India and then I went to all places, Italy. I became an au pair and I stayed in Napoli in Italy. And that was an even more horrific experience Mm. being a black female in Italy, like their ideas about you, like you have to be the cleaner, right? Again, how is your English so good? Just ignorance across the board, but it's an education that I wouldn't trade for the world. A lot of my friends stayed in the UK, went to uni, ended up with massive debt, but no life experience. Mm -hmm. Whereas I decided to take that leap and go outside my comfort zone, had no debt. And I know that at every corner of the world, a version of anti-blackness exists. And if you really want to, do you know what I mean? And if you really want to explore this space, you need to know how to handle yourself. I, I do have a question for you because I, I know even in other countries, I'm specific to India, I want to speak about, colorism mm. even exists within themselves. Oh, and and I, I want to talk about that because <laughs> I, I feel darker versus fairer skin, even Oof. in Indians, they, they view each other differently. So what was your experience seeing that and even being darker than that and how they treated you with that? Honestly, I Do you know, some days I just wanted to cry because Uh it's not just the fact that colorism is obvious within their caste system. It's seeing adverts for bleaching cream everywhere. Mm -mm. It's like this being pushed as the norm. Like, oh, my God. Uh, Or or like to hear that a daughter has been killed because she's too dark for the family to sell on in terms of marriage. Are you serious? Deadly. deadly like they're killing their own children because that daughter's skin tone has made her a burden oh my god i just i think what was really helpful on that trip is there was a girl i became best friends with who was the same complexion as me so we were able to make two eyes make four and be like sis i got you i think had i have been the only one of that complexion on that trip i would have come home early just because it's a heavy weight to bear like i understand colorism exists with Mm -hmm. even even within the black community, but people, people need to understand I was coming from a space where everyone was like, no, you're dope. You're great. It's okay, fine. Yes. We got you. We're going to support you to then go out into the world. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And be like, like it wasn't Bruh. that, you know, like wherever- that, was, that wasn't enough to hold you in those places. Ah, I was like, wherever <laughs> I go in the world, I'm going to have to like shout to have my voice heard. I was like, cool. But then I also understood that this is where my other privileges came in. I was like, my daddy's one of the baddest solicitors in the UK. Mm -hmm. Do not chat mad to me. I know Mm -hmm. how this is, you know, there were other things I could pull on. There were other privileges. If I was coming from, say, like a working class situation, it maybe would have made it worse because I don't think I would have had the knowledge or the education to communicate with them in a certain way. Wow. Did did you ever feel in danger in these countries? Yes. Wow. Yes. Multiple times. I remember there was one time in India to make the story even more layered. We were traveling with a Japanese girl. Now, uh, Himachal Pradesh is close to a place called McLeod Ganj, which is Tibetan. Mm. We decided being young and dumb, we're going to go for a weekend in McLeod Ganj, not (laughs) understanding the violent history between, say, the Tibetans and the Chinese and the Jap. We get there and people want to off this girl's head. We are (laughs) 90 years old. And like just because of her ethnicity. Right. People are all of a sudden being black is not the biggest issue. (laughs) They're like, actually, you're You're safe. But who's your friend? (laughs) 
And like, it's knowing that, oh my God, we've got a few hours to get out of here because they're literally letting us know they will take her head off. There were multiple moments of, also outside of being black, there were moments of fear as a woman because violence against women in India is just, it's unreal. And there were moments we were in a cab or in a bus as women and we were like, we have to get out and walk the rest of the way. Oh my gosh. Because we know that this is a sexually violent and threatening situation. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so after all of these expeditions, yeah. here you go back to Brixton. Well, do you know what? I was dragged back to Brixton because in the middle of my travels in Italy, dad just drops dead. Dad just, yeah, he like, he gets the flu on a Wednesday and I speak to him and he's like, oh my gosh, I I just don't feel very well. And then by Friday, he's dead. It was a very quick and sudden death. And so I'm now coming back home to try and put my life back together, like bury him, understand what it means to grieve without a sibling, which Mm -hmm. is a very... It's a hard experience because I'm like, no one else in this situation feels the way I do. Someone's lost a husband. Someone's lost a son. No one else has lost a dad, you know, and a dad that was so influential in my life. Um, it, I'm not going to lie. It knocked the wind out of me. I think psychologically three, four years easy. It just took me that long to like work through understanding how quickly he died and why that happened and um, who I was separate to him. Mm-hmm. Because again, I'm now this black woman without one of her main cheerleaders. Yes. yes. How am I going to navigate life without this dude? How, do you feel like you ever fully recovered from that at this point? No. And I will never fully recover. I think anyone who has lost a parent they were close to, you just learn to live with that gaping hole. Like it starts as this massive oozing wound that like you've got to rush to like an emotional hospital for, because if you don't, you can bleed out. But of course, then it heals. But it just leaves this hole in your life where I now have a son named after him that he will never he would. He's never met my kids. Mm -hmm. He never he's never seen. He wasn't able to see me become the woman he knew I would be. Yes. After reading those essays. Exactly. Like. You know, and that's, I think that's just something you learn to live with. It's not nice. Yeah. But you learn to live with it. Now, I I do want to go back to mom because I know she was out, I guess, working, Mm. et cetera, everything else. Um, Did did you ever, I guess, forgive her for those moments where she wasn't necessarily there as as a child? Definitely. It took a while, but I got there because I'm now at a place in my parenting journey where I'm like, you guys were only doing the best you you could. And also now I'm like, I'll be 34 next week and I have oh, two nice. kids. I'm like, raw, you guys were playing pretend. This is all, this is, pre- <laughs> you, like, sometimes my, my, my kids come to me and they're like, what we eat and what we doing? And I just put my head in my hands and I'm like, you guys really think I know best. Wow. <laughs> wow. You guys really think I know what I'm doing. Wow. But your mommy, come on, mommy. Like, <laughs> you, you, right? do know, you know everything, I'm your like, mommy. You guys really think I've got a grip on this. Oh, my God. And so now I'm able to look at her in her motherhood entirety, okay. in her womanhood entirety, and be like, you were doing the best with what I you understand. knew. I understand. I understand. And I, you know, and even though I... 
I was left hurt in some situations. I respect the hustle. I respect the grind. I respect the effort because this is not easy. Also, on a global level, I'm trying to have so much empathy for Black women as a whole. Yes. Because I don't think we've really started to deal with the burdens of slavery and colonialism mm-hmm. and being flung from our mother countries and being dispersed and having to relearn what motherhood means and what kind of it's hard. Mm. It's hard. Do you know what? And I know I, I'm not on Twitter, but I know there's this discourse between, like, say, um, the black British diaspora and African Americans. No, I'm speaking to us black people as a whole. Everywhere. It, It's hard. We're still unlearning so much of their violence and so much of the idea that we are nothing and this disconnection that when black women move mad, now my first reaction is empathy. Yes. Because I'm like, we are still in a period of unlearning. Mm hmm. Which requires healing. Exactly. And a healing that annoyingly because of our socioeconomic standing in the world Mm -hmm. many of us can't even afford to get i hate this whole go to therapy go to therapy i don't know about you not therapy is hella expensive (laughs) exactly i've got therapy tonight and i just be so mad at how much i'm paying this woman it's good (laughs) it's helped me a lot but i'm like i don't know many black women making this kind of money to be able to have someone listen to them for an hour to be like, I think going to therapy is such a privileged lay statement. Like it's not, it's not accessible, you know? And and I want to ask, I I think there are definitely some correlations to this question, but are (laughs) you able to see a black woman therapist or is that not even an option for you in the UK? Let me tell you, not only is my therapist a black woman, she's dark skinned too. So some go. days I can just roll up and push up my face. I don't even have to speak. And she's like, girl, I know. I know. <laughs> say, <laughs> she's like, say less. She's like, I got, I got you. You don't even have to speak. Um, and it, it took a while. And I will say that my therapist is like, she's got a waiting list longer than my arm. Because there's so few and far between. And like black women are like, I only want to engage with someone who's going to get it. Like getting a slot in with her is like, it's insane (laughs) because number one, that there are more, especially post-COVID, there are now more people requiring therapy than there are good black therapists. Mm -hmm. Because also Mm -hmm. collecting your doctorate or your education to be a therapist, that's also a privilege in the UK. It's a privilege in the US to be, be able to have the money to be educated to that degree. So now there are more black people with issues than there are black therapists. Mm. You know, which which is sad. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. <laughs> but, all right, so so I want to take it. We're back in Brixton, right? Daddy passes, mm. unfortunately, right? So you mm. you stay there. At this point, what do you decide to do for your own monies and funding? Oh my gosh! So now I'm just hopping from job to job, not necessarily giving a damn. I'm being very reckless. I am living a life like a 1920s debauchery queen. Like I'm, I'm actually on a one woman mission to maybe even kill myself is a strong word, but I know what I mean. Like I'm, I'm definitely trying to ruin myself of sorts because I am that grief stricken. I'm like, nothing matters. Look, you can work hard and you can be a lovely guy and, and look how you die. Like I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry. And the only way to deal with that anger, I think is to go out every night and not care and like just be so, um, 
be such reckless. a destruction, reckless. Yeah. And then, and then by some like luck of the draw, I meet this guy who ends up being my husband now. Papa B. Papa B comes into the scene. Okay. And so for some reason, Papa B can see beyond my recklessness and my pain and my grief. Mm. And like, I would fully be like, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we can hang out, we can sleep together, but I'm not your girlfriend. Leave me alone. Get out of my house. Like okay. I'm so anti-love at this point because I'm like, listen, the last time I loved someone, they had to leave. I'm, mm. I'm not in the business of doing that again. You can forget it. And he was so persistent and consistent. I remember one night he literally threw rocks at my window because I <laughs> wasn't coming downstairs. Literally, <laughs> he was like, no, you just need to hear me out. You need to understand that I'm going to wait for you to mentally get it together. Wow. That game changer, because wow. what being in that relationship allowed, right. Right. And being in that relationship allowed me to soften up in places where I wasn't allowing it to happen. Fast forward, maybe two years. um, I think I had my daughter by that point. We had her pretty quickly in that relationship. And I decided where you guys married or did you have the daughter? Oh, no, no. Oh, no. We're we're just we're just boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay, but we're living together. And I decide I want to go back to work and I see this competition. Right. It's a competition. Uh, for you to win a job working in publishing. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to apply. Whatever. And what were you doing as a job at the, at this time? Nothing. I was a stay-at-home oh, mom just oh, you, looking after oh, my stay- kids. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So I'm what, was, looking- what was Papa B doing? Papa B was working in construction. He, he had okay. always worked in sales in the construction company. Okay. And he's working long, torturous hours, you mm. know. He's coming home just in time to see our daughter and bathe her and put her to bed and, and going back to work in the morning. But I'm starting to feel itchy. I'm like, you see this early motherhood thing? I don't like it. <laughs> I feel brain dead. This child cannot communicate. I also feel like uh, Papa B's holding down the entire household, but I want my own money. I don't mm. want to have to be like, we're waiting on his check. I'm mm-hmm. like, I want to go back out into the working world. I apply for this job. There's like 3,000 applicants, four okay. job roles, and I end up winning one. Nice. So now... I'm working in the marketing department at one of the biggest publishing houses in the world. Yes. And what that allows me to do is understand publishing from the inside out. I don't know if it's the same in the US, but publishing in the UK is notoriously white. Mm -hmm. It's notoriously privileged. It's based on nepotism. Like everyone has a daddy who's going to get them a job. Like the job role doesn't get advertised. You just have a daddy (laughs) that's going to get you through the door. Everyone went to Oxford or Cambridge or Eton. Mm. Like working in publishing is proper upper class. And so in comes this Malvi black girl from South London sitting in meetings being like that's rubbish and everyone from from, from the flat from the flat bush of the uk <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, and yeah. everyone's looking at me like why is this girl talking yeah i'm like because your marketing is played out it's trash <laughs> and as, as a book reader this ain't mm-hmm. kidding let's spice up your life <laughs> and um they end up listening to me, which is astounding. And I end up developing a really good relationship. But what happened during that time, and this is why I always want to encourage people to roll the dice on themselves. Um, This was 2015. And the word that kept popping up was blogger, blogger, blogger. Mm -hmm. 
everyone's a, a blogger it's a thing yeah. and i'm spending most of my working day on the phone to these bloggers being like how much are you guys gonna charge us to promote this book uh... now listen when they told me the price i said i'm in the wrong job i, said, <laughs> I need I said, to be blogging <laughs> i said i'm a fool because yeah. like what so i'm not gonna lie i was making little notes and okay. what i was also noticing is that in the uk there were no black bloggers wow. not one not zero what? I said, okay, baby. I was speaking to myself. I said, there's a there's a gap in the market, sis. But, but blogging feels so independent. So what I, I'm going to ask right there, and it's going to tie into just even you as an author, but at that point in time, what do you feel stopped Black women in the UK from saying, let me independently do this for myself and take on this market? Uh, money. Uh, because like on some level, starting out as a blogger, especially back then required some kind of money for a okay. camera, for a website. Mm. So money, time, you got to remember black women across the world are making less money than their white yes. counterparts. Do you know yes. what I mean? So yes. where someone, a white woman I'm sitting next to at work. White is and male. White and they're making and black, black males making. are making more than black women. Right. Too. Yeah. So yeah. it's that it's not having the time. It's not having the money. Also, I'm a great believer. If you can't see it, you can't be it. There is like even in 2022 mm. now, there is still a nervousness amongst black Britons to do something new because it's like it's never been done before in the UK. Wow. It's never, wow. This is why we constantly have to look towards the US, towards the US to be like, that's an example of the black greatness we can achieve. That's crazy. The black Britain will not allow black, British people to thrive like I mean Britain as a whole they're like no we want to keep you in this place so to me that's why I, I thought I wasn't seeing any little do they know Candice is crazy I'm absolutely crazy and this this idea wouldn't leave my head no I'm insane when I <laughs> and I came home to Papa B and I was like I'm gonna quit my job he was like what you you've well, been there one year girl you're, yeah. you're so and he's like you having that job has now brought our head above the poverty line. Mm. Like we were mad struggling when it was just one check. Okay, we wow. can kind of go out for a dinner a month now. It's yeah, two. Yeah. Like, would you leaving to do what? And he's proper Nigerian. He's like, you're leaving to become a YouTuber. Like, please get out of my face. <laughs> get out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is uh, I think every Nigerian guest I've had on the show has had similar conversations about their parents, right? <laughs> and, and them looking into being an entrepreneur. Their parents are like, "What? What? 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 Is, what? what, what? <laughs> like he's like, sit down. Um, so you're like, he, no, I'm buying a camera. Um, so this is the thing. I take my last wage. I buy mm. a secondhand camera mm. and I quit my job because I know me. I'm either all in or I'm all out. all out. And I couldn't play the game of having this nine to five and still raising this little girl and doing yeah. this thing on the side. I was like, I have to build this platform 20 four seven because wow. me i love the data i was showing him like these girls i was like there is no one that looks like me babe wow. like wow. it's now or never like yeah I, I have to do this and i'm you, not gonna lie first to market it right it's the run I'm to not the market yeah i'm not gonna lie it caused tension in our relationship for wow. years because wow. what many influencers or entrepreneurs well they do say it now but i think people don't listen is that no one ain't trying to hear you or pay you for years. Mm -hmm. For, mm -hmm. for years. Like, 
They don't care. You don't have the numbers. You've not built the brand. They don't know your name. It's literally like cold calling, knocking on someone's door. That's how no one cares. Verdict's out. Beards are cool in your face, but not below the waist. Today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Check them out. 20% off right now when you use the code BLUEDOPE on manscaped.com. Get you the new lawnmower 4.0. It's waterproof. Join the 4 million plus men that are using it. Ladies, you can get it as a gift, right? It doesn't need to just be something the fellas go get ourselves. Self-care's taking a whole new level for men so get manscaped get right get tight comes with a whole set of stuff loving the whole kit that it comes with check it out blue dope and i promise you it took three years for me to land a paid job after i quit my job so three that's years. a long time now that's a hell of a long time the- <laughs> What, what was your first attempt? Like, what was the, when you sat down and said, I'm going to do this blogging, vlogging, what was the first set of I stuff? I think my first set of stuff was like talking about TV shows on YouTube, okay, okay. which was good. It was getting a little traction. And then I turned towards motherhood because mm. I was like, actually, I'm at home with this kid all day. I'm doing all of this stuff. And what I noticed about the British mummy scene, it was popping. And mm. them girls were getting sponsorships out their ears. Wow. I was like, I want me a piece of that. Okay. And the second I pivoted towards motherhood, that's when it all popped off. This instantaneous. People. Literally, it was like. It was like Black Britain were thirsty for this kind wow. of content because Black British mothers hadn't been able to see themselves on Instagram, online, mm. or see their stories being told. And I'm not going to lie, what gave my situation the edge was that I was in a happy relationship. Yes. It wasn't the continuous narrative of a broken Black family or single mom struggling, which was all, it's like... It, at that time, it was all black women were allowed to be if you were a mom. Like, oh, yeah, the baby daddy left and she's on benefits yes. and it's really hard. And it's like, my God, here's this black woman with this black man. And like, they have like, they it just, it down. right. It blew up because it just keyed into not only a gap in the market, but aspiration. And mm-hmm. I think with any brand or business, once you can like identify your space of aspiration, mm-hmm. that's when the till's going to ring. Because let's be honest, we only buy into certain brands because we aspire to be like what yes. it says it's going to be in the advert. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, it, it's exactly the same with, with um, being an online personality, so to wow. speak. Wow. Wow. Now, I mean, you definitely translated that. And I'm going to say those essays, right? The essays mm. that daddy used to read and everything. You translated that to become a full-on author. And mm. the thing that bugs me out is that they I've heard it said that you were the first Black woman in the UK to <laughs> publish a book about Black motherhood. I swear to you. Like, even hearing you say it back gives me chills. And you can go... It's insane. On- you can go online to the British Library today and it's still the only book about Black British motherhood. So no one else said, all right, no. she's doing it. Let me write my book. No. And the thing wow. is, I think other people are trying to do it, but publishers are still acting scared. Mm. And it goes to show 
how hard black people still have to work because that book came out was an instant Sunday times bestseller. That book is still selling mad, crazy numbers today. Yes. There is no way in hell. There are not other black women who are like, I want to piggyback off this and I want them to piggyback. But my true belief is that the publishing industry still ain't trying to hear them. I think the publishing industry are saying, yeah, but we've got one of those. We don't need. We, we only we, need one candy. We only it. need one, and it, do you know what annoys me about that? Because I think people would be like, "Oh, don't you feel special?" No, I feel aggravated. Wow. Because it's like, why have I done all of this work to get to the top of this mountain for you to not let my girls in? Yeah. It's yeah. like going to the club with your friends and the doorman being like, "Only you." <laughs> you only. That's no fun. Yeah. I didn't. I don't know. I don't want party by myself. <laughs> That's no fun. And I just feel like there's still that blocker. Whereas white authors, there's 50,000 books the same. Like, and especially in the blogging space or the like influencer space. And I I don't have my mouth to say these. These girlies can't even write, bro. (laughs) But they're out there. They're published. Ah! They're there. they're such terrible writers, but the publishing houses will come and give them a ghostwriter wow. and be oh, like, no. yeah, yeah. And they'll just slap their name on it because they know the book's going to sell because of the platform they have. See, that's that's a very hip hop thing. I didn't know they did oh, it. In- oh, my God. In the publishing <laughs> industry, ghosties wow. are rife. Like, and you can tell because these white women have never said they want to write that even from their wow. Instagram captions, they can't string a sentence together and yet they're out here being Sunday times bestsellers. And I'm like, it's still not fair because I'm telling you that black girl, you're not giving a deal to can actually write. Like now I'm going to ask you a crazy question, you know, to to compare it to the club line, the VIP line and you get in and your friends Mm. aren't there to party with you. Do you ever want to leave the space because of that? All the time. All the time. And annoyingly, my friends outside the club are now the ones keeping me in. They're like, don't come back out. Just stay in. They're like, they're like, don't come back out. What we will do is through the window, we'll pass you tools so you can build an (laughs) underground tunnel, though. Mm. So that, right? So that they're like, you need to understand for some reason, you've been the one that's been allowed to infiltrate. You can't leave because now you know the secrets. Now you know the tea. Now you know the information and you can send us notes through the window and let us know how we need to move. And so I appreciate that. I'm kind of just like the mule of this energy and that in some ways being inside now means that 20 more of us can get in in two years time. You know, How, how do you feel with that burden? How much is that weighing on you right now? I hate it. And I can say that with, I say that with such vim because I had this conversation today, like living this life isn't easy living such a public life, especially in the UK where you are one of one, Mm. it's not easy. And I'm like, some days I'm not going to lie. I want to take this crown off. I'm like, God, Mm. like I just want to be normal. Like, let me go, bro. And I fully hear God be like, sometimes I'm sorry, this is the flow. And there are going to be some bumps in the road, but what will make it easier is if you just relax and accept that this is what I've chosen you to do. Wow. And I don't want to hear your whining and crying because we don't get to change the story. I think people from the outside, they see the parties or they see the outfits and they're like, no, you must be having what you don't see is the racist trolling online. What Mm. you don't see is how I always feel like my safety's threatened because I'm out with my kids and people come up and say hi to my kids and not me. Well, you know, do you know, dead, wow, dead, (laughs) 
dead. And I'm just like, that's the stuff that I don't talk about because people will, I know the general population will be like, oh my gosh, you know, you're complaining. But some days as especially not just being a black woman, but being a black person, period, the bar is so high for us. You know, I can't just go out and start cussing, even if someone's done something. Do you know what I mean? Sunday's Tom's bestseller is I don't have that space. Don't let the camera phones catch you. Before I got my driver's license, I always used to like want to run in my whip and go and get my kids. And my husband would be like, if they catch you, bro, that's a that's a front page story. Oh wow. Black woman on our TV driving without a license. He was like, they're going to make you out to be the biggest demon. Like, they're go- you won't have killed no one. You would have parked perfect. But it's because you've broken some side of the law. They're going to run with that narrative. So what people don't understand, like, before I leave my house, I feel like I'm having to put this cape of perfection on. Yeah. Where I'm like, don't, don't screw up your face. Don't shout. Don't be too loud. Because they are waiting for you to yes. give them a reason for them to, to pull it all away. Now, at, at this point, do you feel obligated to share certain things with the public, like even your children? And I'll, I'll preface it by saying that I'm very private online myself. Like you mm. won't see pictures of my kids on Instagram. You might, mm. you know, if you're a close friend on my Facebook or something like that, that's a little different. <laughs> but but Instagram, like my kids are not even on it. So do you feel obligated at this point because you shared so much with the public to this point? No, now, no. I feel like the boundaries are really clear now. And I feel like they understand you get what I give. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to being at this point in my career, it got a bit fuzzy. And I felt like I owed the public everything, like every yes. nook and cranny, every piece. And one day I just sat down. No, let me not tell a lie. I got trolled really badly by a very famous blogger in our space. And it became a national news story because I'm so because she was going online pretending to be someone else and she was racially trolling me and she got uncovered. Wow. This became she had a, a burner account. Literally, she was even <laughs> trolling her own husband. <laughs> Trouble I at home. You, I swear to you. And that was the tipping point for me because all of a sudden my babysitter's ringing me like, wow, you're in the newspaper. What's going on? And I was like, no, no, no. This this is a level of privacy that's been violated. I didn't ask for this. I didn't sign up for this. Now my my kids' pictures are just being printed in the newspaper because it's a news story. That for me was the hard fork in the road. I was like, the gates go up because you guys are crazy. And the thing is, I don't think... Uh, yeah, I can say this. The way black people respect their privacy is very different to white people. Like, mm-hmm. And rightfully so, because the last time we were kind to them, look what happened. And <laughs> so now, like, we are we are rightfully very guarded, you know? Yes. Sometimes I'd be following a white woman online, and I, I never call people out, but she posted a picture of her naked child, like, potty training, I hollered at her one time. I was like, sis, I don't normally do this, but do you understand the safety issue right now? I don't care if you've even got three people following you. This is a safety issue for you and your child. And she took the picture down, but I was just like, and a black person would never do that. (laughs) (laughs) We we would 
never ever do that because we just understand what being so open and so vulnerable can cost you on the other side and so now my audience are really respectful of my privacy also that situation taught me a friend's mum once told me silence can never be misquoted Mm. Mm. and it's Honestly, I've got that on my office as a painting because whenever there's a little story or a little friction in the business, I tell everyone, shut up, (laughs) just shut your mouth. Because again, as a black person, you can say, ah, and they're going to say you said boo. So sometimes the best thing to do is give them no chat at all. You just be quiet and you let the dust settle. I think sometimes as a black creator, going online to defend yourself causes more trouble than there was in the first place. Mm. My friends love to screenshot me and show me when I'm trending on Twitter. They love to do that. I'm like, you guys are crazy. I don't care about that. (laughs) These are your friends. (laughs) do you know why they send it because they're like you have no idea the impact you're having on people in the uk i'm like i do not care (laughs) now now to contrast things Mm. how do you feel about the black women that are like online becoming famous twerking oh baby oh baby (laughs) do you know what I said that this year specifically is the year of no judgment towards what black Mm. women do just because we are the most judged and hated person on earth. Yes. Like when we look at that pyramid of hate, they're coming for black women all the time. Now I also have to remember, I used to love to wear the shortest shorts in my twenties and Mm -hmm. twerking up at the club. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm a little bit older and I'm a mum and I like to act all prim and proper. And I'll be looking at someone twerking. I'll be like, oh, that's so terrible. My husband will be like, how did I meet you? Exactly. Please please, please gather yourself. Papa Papa B was like, I like that twerking. I held it down. Papa B was like, sorry, honey. Like, and honestly, it just, it reminds me that we are living, I'm just a little bit older now. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know what my biggest grace was? Mm-hmm. Not having the internet at that yes, time. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. If we if we were the video all online, clips. there was there was just no proof of the madness. No. There's no yes. video, and so what I would like, I'm like, I girl, I love that for you if you love it, but could you do that in private? Because yeah, these yeah. clips live forever. forever. Like these situations live forever, and I just don't think when you're in your twenties, you you don't care about that. You're like, yeah, put it on the gram. <laughs> And it's like, no, sometimes now these videos are getting you cancelled or it means you can't get a certain job. And I wish that people understood that. Like, yeah. I do want to go right into the books at this point. Now, (laughs) the first one that came out, right, it's part of the trilogy, I Am Not Your Baby Mother. Yeah. That 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 name itself <laughs> that's going to get people interested, but what was the the full focus of that release and Well, the full focus was it was really me writing about the Black British motherhood experience from my perspective. Um, Now, the title, because Mm -hmm. we all know the negative connotations around baby mama, baby mother. That was me just calling my publishers bluff because Mm. I was like, listen, five of you white ladies say you want this story, but I need to I need to test you guys. I need to make sure that you are not going to dilute my story. So I said my way of testing them, I was like, because what people don't know about publishing is that Mm. uh, an author doesn't have the last say on their title. Mm. So few people know that an author doesn't have last say on the title or the front cover. Mm. 
The publishing house gets to make that last decision. And I said, you know, what? I'm a, uh, this surprises people. I'm a massive Jay-Z fan. I'm like, oh, we we can hang out all day, like go bar for bar. When I say, like, I study that man's interviews and he has taught me so much about what's for sale and what's not for sale. Mm. I said, listen, this is really my intellectual property. And if you want it that bad, we can't change the title. And they came back to me within five minutes and they were like, we, we will sign the contract on the title. I said, that's power because wow. that means that I can trust you in the acknowledgement that you understand you don't know anything about a black woman's experience. Mm. So when it comes down to editing this story, you're going to let me have final say. And so that's how that came to pass. Now, no one would have planned for this to happen. This is like a PR's dream, but it's 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 yeah. the most horrible thing. I'm not your baby mother came out two days after George Floyd was murdered. Yeah. Wow. So wow. that kind of marketing timing, what happened in the UK was that I'm not your baby mother ended up being on the list of essential racial reading. Like wow. and, and I, you, I think everyone was trying to break the bias, right? Right, right. So it's like here's a read. Here's a read. Wow. So this ends up being on the list with books like Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race or Me and White Supremacy with Leila Saar. Here's me with my little bottle of champagne. And we're in a lockdown. Don't forget. Yeah, yeah. We're locked down. I'm like, nah, I said the book is three days old. Guys, wow. bring it back. Bring it. Wow. How are you going to? How are you going to? It's off. Put, it's, on to yeah. it's on to the races. How are you going to put my baby book in like this esteemed list? Like, that made me so nervous, but also I was like, there was this energy over me. I don't know if it was dad. I don't know if it was God that was just like, it's done. Again, yeah. like I said, don't block your blessings. Right. This is the way the story pans out. Yeah. So just just buckle in. And for that book to do what it did, like I said, I wasn't even able to go out and promote because we were in a lockdown. Yeah. And but so it was promoting itself at that point. Literally, it just, it just it just took off. And again, you know, and my publishers were like, oh, my God, it's, you know, we're so shocked he's doing so well. I said, listen, irrespective of the murder of George Floyd, I'm not. Mm. Because, again, there was that gap in the market. Like, yes. Yes. stop acting like black people don't want to read about themselves. Like, wow. you don't need to get hit to the T. And again, that book has just gone on to do... It's even now in the UK, if you want to become a midwife in our national health service, you have to read I'm Not Your Baby Mother to pass your exam. <laughs> Are you I serious? I swear to you, they've put it on the wow. list of, uh, of like, you have to read it in order to get your midwifery badge in the wow. UK. That's amazing. Like that's that is, you. You had no plans of that. <laughs> None of that. None I, I, of think, that. <laughs> I think. I mean, it, it tells you how even universal the story was. And what's mm. interesting to me is that you have a also a fan base of white women. White women love Huge. this book as well. So Huge. it's it's not just for us. It, the story was written away, right? This is the thing. I, I, and what I always tell white people or any of my readers is like, of course, my, I'm thinking of black women when I write. But in order for the biases to be broken, I need white people yes. to read it. Yes. And, and, and share that happening. information. Right. Black and people, we know the tea. We yes. know how we're abused or not listened to. Wow. We know that. I need white people to read it. Yes. So they can go to their white friends and be like, oh, my God. Like, yeah. th- this is still a real thing. This, like, how can we make that happen? Also, um, my Lord. <laughs> also... And this is something that, especially in Britain, 
Uh, and I don't want to get cancelled, but I have to tell the truth. We mm. don't yet have the black financial infrastructure for our audiences to be solely black. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. I feel like in the US, you can fully say with your chest, like, my stuff is for black people and that's the Mm -hmm. market I'm trying to approach. And you can do really, really well. The reality is black people in the UK as a whole only make up 3% of the population. Oh, that's it? That is it. Wow. And so it's like, you're going to be a fool to your bank balance and your accountant if you solely position yourself as only for Black people. Your resources and your audience are going to be really limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has caused friction along the way because there are many Black people who don't pet to tell me, oh, you're a coconut, you're a bounty, like the white people love you too much. I'm like, listen, sir. I came here for not a long time, but a good time. And in some ways it's reparations. Like I got to get back the coins some way. And so I'm extremely uh, happy to have a lot of white women follow me, not just from a a sense of they are going to buy into the things that I think are, are help going to educate them, but it's just because of based on where I live. Like I couldn't solely market to a black audience. I'd have nothing to sell. Now, I, I heard through a little birdie that you're looking at even potentially coming over to New York. Like, what's going yeah. on with that part? <laughs> Do you know what? I was really sad last year because, um, like I said, if you want to move in a certain way or build certain businesses in the UK as a black woman, the glass ceiling is right there. Mm. And I feel like I've arrived at the ceiling. Yes. I feel wow. like, because you know, that there, there's this running joke. I don't know if you guys know her over there. She lives there now. There's a comedian, Gina, Gina Asheray. She okay. is from the UK. She now lives in LA. And she once told a story where she was like, I was living in the UK and I wanted to be a popping comedian. And a white man turned to me and said, well, you have to wait for Lenny Henry to die. And Lenny Henry is our most esteemed black comedian. Mm. And she went telling no lies. The vibe in the UK is one at a time. That's crazy. One black person at a time. Like, it's a, it's a threat if there's two. It's a it, threat. It, what? They're like, no, no, no. One blackie at a time. Now, you know you've got to wait oh, for no. our chosen black person to die before we allow you to arrive. Oh, and I'm goodness. looking at the clock. I'm looking at the span of my life. And I'm like, do I really want to dedicate myself to a country that isn't going to allow me to flourish in the way that I want to. And I look at, and this guys to any African-Americans listening, I know it's not games over there. I understand the hardships. Like I'm not trying to move with like rose tinted spectacles. I'm just saying when I look towards the way you guys are allowed to flourish and work, it makes sense for me to start putting down roots over there. Like, because the reality is the UK as a black woman is only going to allow me to go so far. And I don't want to end up in a situation where it's my time to pass on. And I feel like I haven't squeezed the juice out of my life because I've allowed myself to stay in a stagnant situation. You know, I'm respectful to my British audience. I love them. I couldn't do this job without them, but even they look at me now and, and, you know, people message me all the time and they're like, Candice, why don't you have a TV show yet? Mm. Why are you not on the front cover of this magazine? Mm. And that kind of burns because I'm like, sis, I'm trying. There's a, a block somewhere. There's a block here, babe. There wow. is like, there are many, maybe white men holding this door being like, no, we, we have our chosen black girl right wow. now. 
We wow. can't allow you to enter. Wow. I mean, it's kind of interesting because I hear all of this and are there people from other countries that even say, hey, let me invest into the, what's going on over here? Or are mm. they blocked from even investing into someone like a Candice Brathwaite? I think, I, I don't even think they would want to invest into me in this space because mm. like it's so, and it's so, um, our media space here is so toxic and it's so filled with jealousy and backbiting because the way the UK has black British people moving, it's like, oh no, you can't all sit at this table, bro. There's mm. not enough food to go around. So what happens is we all end up at a party together and everyone's feeding away because you know across the room is someone that could take your job in the morning. Mm. That's how they want you to think, you know. Mm. Now I move in a mindset of abundance now. A couple of years ago, if someone got a job I wanted, I'd be crying for days. I'd be like, my life is over. There's no way through. And now I'm like, nah, God's got me. What's for yeah. me will reach me. There is more than enough. But not everyone in my workspace here thinks like that. And what that does, it creates infighting. And what makes me even sad is that's how the white infrastructure wants it. That's how yeah. they've always wanted it. They yeah. want us to believe that, oh, no. You can't all get through this. And also, I think Black Britain is a little bit behind in um, coming together to build. And Got that's it. something that African-Americans have a great head start on. You guys will look across the table and be like, I'll do a deal with you. Yeah, Let's build yeah. this thing. Let's build Rockefeller. Let, you know, you, yeah. you got... The UK, we're just starting to do that. And like I said, I'm 34 in a few days. I, I can't be waiting. <laughs> trying to move faster. <laughs> now, now, I, I know you came out with part two of the trilogy, right, Sister Sister, yeah. and I understood that that was supposed to be probably chronologically number one in the order. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't want to gloss over that at all, but I want to understand because now you have part three of the trilogy, trilogy <laughs> cuts both ways. It's You've announced the title. People were waiting to see what it was going to be. Yeah. What is this book about? This book now, we're twisting it up a bit. This book is now a young adult love story. Um, mm -hmm. And we're using, the characters are young and they're black. And we're following Cynthia. Cynthia's brother was recently murdered. Um, mm -hmm. And her parents have moved her from Brixton to the countryside. And it's a story I've been able to create because we had to do that move. When I fell pregnant with my son, I don't know if, uh, you know, American listeners might not know this. The UK has a very bad stabbing issue. No. Kids over here are stabbing each other to death like crazy. Like what age? Like, like they're just... So the, I think the youngest victim we've, we've had is 11. I promise you. The turf wars and like uh, drug rings um, and po they're called postcode wars. So every area has their own gang Got has it. exploded. And so where I fell pregnant and we were still living in London, which is like the stabbing hotspot, I turned to Papa B and I was like, I cannot raise my son in a place wow. where getting him to 16 is a roll of the dice. That's crazy. I mean, we, we got gun violence in the US, but... Honestly, you know, they say gun violence is lower other places. So I guess people resorted to knives. 
honestly, knife crime in the UK is out. It's got to the point where it doesn't even come on the news anymore. You have to like, you have to like sign up to to certain bulletins because the kids die, are being murdered at such a quick rate that there's the turnover story is like every five hours, every five hours. There's there's such bloodshed. And so we left Brixton and we've moved to a greener part of the UK. And I wanted to be able to write that story in a fictional way because that's the choice that a lot of Black Britons are having to make right now. We're having to leave the places where our grandparents came. You know, they came off this boat, they came off this plane and they've settled in London, West London, South London. And now this violence is meaning that Black people are having to go out. And like I said now, hear this. I think uh, we make up 3% of the UK, right? Mm -hmm. But in London, Black people make up, I think, 40%. So do okay. the, just do the maths on that. Like yeah, London is yeah. where we all went. Concentrated. And so now for us to go out, we're facing racism. Wow. We're fa- like we're going to these countrysides and these like white people are allowed like, here. What go the hell are you city. doing? Right. Like we until we want to go, then we'll exa- gentrify right. and Then you <laughs> right. can go. You can leave. We're, we're going back. Exactly. <laughs> and so I wanted to do that in a way that would hook the younger reader. And so that's book three. And may, okay. I, I can't believe we went from dad not marking an essay to book three. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I, I know daddy's smiling down on you right now. Amen. <laughs> and that's, that's the big thing. I, I think um, I, we, we're definitely going to have to have you back on the show. And it might be when you're in New York. I'm, I'd, I'd look forward to that. My wife already is telling me my wife loves you by the way and um my wife's jamaican i didn't even know that you would have jamaican but um she's already put the word out there like move to long island like long island new york just come on out she she's waiting for you to be be out there honestly it's definitely something that's gonna happen i just have to like take it in small increments because listen when i went to new york and i started speaking to you like that really lived there child that health insurance girl i said <laughs> I said, I said, my one friend told me that. How much is that, that a month? Honestly, he said he broke his arm and it cost him like $20,000. I said. That's just an arm. Don't break a leg. Said, oh, God, I got to get my money up. <laughs> People but, um, need to go and buy cuts both ways. That's what's going to well, happen. Literally, please get my coins up because I'm trying to If move. you want candies in New York. <laughs> Get the whole trilogy. <laughs> and you know what? I just have so much respect for you guys in the hustle. And of course, if you're born there, you know nothing yes. else. Yes. So you don't really deep it. But I'm leaving a country that, and the health service can be booky, but it's there, you know? Yeah. I yeah. know if anything's gone wrong, I can just hop there. And so to move to New York would be me understanding that I'd have to let go of a lot of privileges. But I do think it'll be worth the, the, the trade-off. <laughs> the last thing I want to ask you w- make motherhood um diverse right? yeah yeah how where does that fall in line for you with everything you're doing yeah. and then the last last thing i'll ask is how do you balance just having time for yourself when you have all of these different things going on and wow with the kids um, and the husband may, and the podcast may, you may um so make motherhood diverse was an like an online platform that grew to show different versions of motherhood in the uk where make motherhood diverse is at and it's such a day for you to ask this question because we're trying to sign a deal mm. now is that's become like an agency of sorts wow. huge parenting brands come to me and and the person i'm running it with and they're like you have 
have this great pool of parents that we want to cast or pull from. How much is that going to cost? So essentially what Make Motherhood Diverse now allows me to do is to get mums paid which okay, was nice. always the goal do you know what nice. I mean I'm all about yeah it's all like women supporting women and that stuff is all true the best way you can support a woman is give her financial freedom give yes. her away do you know what I mean don't give her the fish teach her to fish yes. so that she can leave a bad situation or she can move around so make motherhood diverse is now an agency and that is amazing to see and awesome. how do I do it all I don't and so to any woman <laughs> listening Let's get this clear. I think the uh-huh. only reason I can live such a creative life is because I got a housekeeper because mm. my husband quit his job to join our business. You know, wow. there were things that had to yeah. happen in order for me to shine in the way that I do. And wow. I think a lot of black women, um, they need to get better at asking for help and taking help. Yes. And also yes seeking you know you didn't ask me this but i'm just going to mention this anyway because i see a lot of this on tiktok i see young black girls being like i want a six-figure guy and (laughs) he he's got to get me a birkin and fly me out and Mm -hmm. yep and now i'm older i'm like honey no you want the man that's going to support you in you becoming a six-figure girl yes and let me tell you having i've been with papa b 10 years let me tell you you don't meet that man at the point of six figures because if you do you are replaceable to him you are interchangeable to him he now has all of this wealth and this access and you fit in there like a new pair of trainers i think it's important that younger black women start to look for men who are willing to work with them and support support them from nothing and I think then you can grow on to grow a relationship where um where things get tough someone's going to slip into a different role or that man's not going to like hold anything over your head you know it it sounds like right now you guys have built a brand that's bigger than anything you guys did before because of that belief and that support system within each other can you believe Papa B got a book deal can you (laughs) I I, I heard Papa B has the book dropping I heard he does (laughs) So he's on the podcast with you, but he's dropping his own he's book dropping now. books. I like, and now he always turns to me and he laughs because, of course, now we're cool. He's like, baby, quitting that job is the best thing you ever did. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, wow. yeah, yeah. It's, it might have taken three years to get that check, but now them checks are studying. Look at you dropping a book, too. Shout out to Papa B. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, we're going to do part two when you and Papa B are in New York. Let's set it up. It's a different dynamic. I'd love to have both of you on. (laughs) You already got Angie by yourself, but just listen to the Pillow Talk podcast. I know there's a lot of things and we could go on and on about that, about people calling you guys couple goals and you know what that means to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. (laughs) We're gonna do that. So but but Candice, I definitely want to thank you for your time today from your different time zone. (laughs) And just lastly, where can everyone find you that's been under a rock that hasn't heard of you before? <laughs> Do you know what? I'm just Candice Brathwaite on every platform. I think if you're down for the real talk, follow me on TikTok. I have to keep uh-huh. it a bit more professional on Insta. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But no, Candice, thank you again very much. It's Blue Dope.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Blue Dope and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, you can follow the crew on Instagram at Blue Dope TV.